If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We've made it through four chapters already of the book of Luke. We are at chapter 5 this morning. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11 of Luke chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you could please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Now, during the five years that I spent doing youth ministry there in uh, Augusta, Georgia, there was one thing that we would always do every February, and this was without fail. Uh, We would always have a, a special theme of the month. As you know, February is Valentine's Day. Um, and so we would always, uh, explore the topic of, of dating, of relationships, of love and marriage. Um, the, the differences between guys and girls, those types of things. Um, as you can imagine, it was usually a very well-attended month for our youth ministry. Uh, they liked to talk about those, those certain types of things. And um, one of the things that we would do is, you know, I would talk about love, or I would talk about marriage and, and dating and, and what the Bible says. Uh, but then we would spend a couple of weeks breaking up the, the guys and the girls. And... One week, uh, the male leaders, myself included, we would, we would talk with the guys, and we would have a very, very candid discussion with them uh, about what it means to be man, about uh, what God requires from us, about dating, uh, about relationships, about marriage, 
Um, and then we would allow them to ask any question that they wanted. Any question. It didn't matter. Um, the next week, what we would do, uh, obviously the girls would meet with the female leaders. Uh, the next week, what we would do is we would switch so that the guy leaders, the male leaders, would be meeting with the females and that the females would be meeting with the male leaders. And it was just a great time of, of interaction, of, of, of trying to gain understanding from, from the genders uh, about what God requires of us. But uh, as you can imagine, without fail, every single year of those five years, there was always one question that was always asked. And that question was, well, when you're in a relationship, how far is too far? Always, without fail. In a sense, how, how physical can my girlfriend or my boyfriend and I be uh, in a relationship without sinning, in a sense? And what we'd have to explain to them every single time, um, because, you know, teenagers are like us. We're thick-skulled. We need to hear things over and over and over again. Um, that's the wrong question. What you're asking is the wrong question. It's not how far can you go, but it's how pure can you be. It is what, God, what does God require of me. Um, this morning, as we look at being a disciple of Christ, of what God requires of us, or what God is calling us to as disciples, uh, we're going to ask uh, the right questions of what does it mean to be a disciple. So as we go through our passage this morning, uh, we're going to see Jesus doing three things. Uh, we can break this passage down in three ways. Uh, between his teaching, the miracle, and then the call that Jesus places on our lives. So we start off and we see what Jesus is typically doing throughout the book of Luke. We've seen it time and time again, and we're only in chapter 5. He is teaching. He is teaching uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He is uh, drawing quite a crowd to him, so much so that they're pressing up against him. They are so hungry for the Word of God that they are, are swarming him. They want to hear what he has to say. They are amazed by him because... He is preaching and teaching with authority. He's not like the other teachers, the other rabbis. This Jesus is different. And so Jesus, being resourceful, noticing the huge crowd, he, he sees a boat nearby, and he knows that if he could just push out a little bit, he can separate himself a little bit from the crowd and then be able to speak to more people um, out there on the water. So he does that, he sits down, which is the normal position for teaching in those days, and he starts teaching the people. And when he gets done with this teaching, he does what he typically does, as we saw last week as well. Not only does he demonstrate his authority in his teaching, but he demonstrates it in his miracles. So Jesus performs this miracle of this miraculous catch. Uh, as we spoke about last week, uh, Jesus' message, the reason why, the purpose why Jesus came, is so that he could preach about the kingdom of God. And we know that the kingdom has come. We see it demonstrated in the miracles that he does. So what Jesus is doing here is, once again, he's preaching about the kingdom. And he's saying, listen, the kingdom is here I have brought it. I have ushered it in. I am the king. 
I am conquering all of my enemies. And then he proves it with this miracle. You know, there, um, we, we still see it on the news. It's been, what, two weeks now that uh, this flight is still missing. Uh, hopefully, the, the, uh, the authorities are getting closer to finding this plane. Uh, there's been some evidence recently. But until we have the proof, we still have no idea, no idea where this plane is. Well, Jesus' miracles are the proof. The kingdom has come. So Jesus, here, after he's done preaching, he tells Simon Peter, he says, put out into the deep and cast your nets. Now, you need to understand what fishing was like back then. Uh, it's not like what Ron does these days, you know, with the, the, the rod and the reel thrown out the cast. They use nets. And what they would do is they would go out and they would drag their nets and they would do it at night. And the reason why is because the fish would come to the surface at night. It was cooler uh, when the sun comes out than they go deep. Am I right with that, Ron? Where's, where's Ron? There you are. Okay. Yeah, so you're on a different side. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, so usually they would go fishing at night. They would drag their nets. Um, and so when it was morning time, as you can imagine, they're exhausted. Anyone who has pulled a night shift or has to work consistently at night, you know that feeling of what it's like in the morning. The sun has come up. You're tired. Uh, all you want to do is rest. But what does Jesus say? He says, I know you didn't catch anything all night, but I want you to put out your nets. Uh, get your gear back together and, and go back out. Well, Peter responds, uh, as only Peter would, as we will see later on in Luke um, he says, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Now, I know we can't project Peter into the 21st century, but I can imagine if he was alive today and this happened, uh, I can imagine him saying, well, thank you, Mr. Carpenter, Mr. Rabbi. Uh, if you don't mind, <laughs> if you could stick to your tables and to your working with the wood, uh, I'll stick to my fishing and, uh, and I'll just get some rest right now. Uh, you know how you feel when someone uh, gives you advice on an area where you feel like you are an expert. You know, I'm not going to give Scott uh, some advice on the law. He's a lawyer. I'm not. You know, I'm not going to tell Bill how to be a dentist. He knows how to do that. Um, I, I don't give my wife uh, advice on medicine. <laughs> she knows uh, for multiple reasons. <laughs> but uh, she knows medicine. Um, she is the expert. But against all logic, Peter does what Jesus tells him to do. He does what this rabbi carpenter tells him. Peter willfully obeys. You see, Peter already knows Jesus. This isn't his first encounter with Jesus. We've already seen that Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus has been to his house. Uh, he has eaten with him. G um, Peter has heard Jesus preach. And so he knows Jesus already at this point. And so he knows what Jesus is capable of. So despite everything that's telling him, you know what, this is crazy, we're not going to catch anything, he does it. He chooses willful obedience. This is crazy, but this is Jesus. So you know the results, what happens. Uh, they let the nets down. There's such a large catch of fish that the nets are breaking. They've got to call their buddies in to come and help. And both boats are beginning to sink. This is a huge catch of fish. This is unheard of. 
So, if this were me, uh, and this happened to me as Peter, I would come running up to Jesus and say, Jesus, you have to come fishing with me every single day. <laughs> like, my business will be booming. This will be incredible. I want you to come every day and help me fish. But what, is, what does Peter do? He comes up to Jesus and says it falls at his knees. He falls down in front of Jesus and he says, Jesus, you have to get away from me. He says, depart from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, when Jesus reveals himself to us, when he reveals his authority to us, his, his majesty and we understand who He is, when we get a glimpse of, of Jesus, we see the sinfulness of our own hearts, and we cry out like Peter, Jesus, I am not worthy to be in Your presence. So at this point, Jesus places a call in Peter's life. Uh, this is, uh, in a sense, we see a point of conversion here with Peter. He, uh, he sees Jesus, he encounters him, he is moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he comes to Jesus in, in repentance and faith. We see his, a, a conversion here. And when he is converted, he is justified before God. He is adopted into God's family, which is what happens at our conversion, and he is given a new calling. You know what, Peter? You used to catch fish. But now you are going to catch men. He has been put on a mission as a disciple of Christ. And he gets to do something that, that only 11 other men in the whole world were ever able to do. He got to spend three years, three years, walking, talking, um, eating, <laughs> sleeping next to Jesus. Amazing. He got to be in the presence, literal presence of Jesus, Jesus in the flesh, for three years. That would be incredible. So when Peter is offered this, what does he do? He leaves everything and he follows Jesus. So what does this passage have for us this morning? So what? Um, what does it look like for us to live the life of a disciple. So Peter had this amazing conversion experience with Jesus. He experienced him. He was converted. He was called to be a disciple. And then he gave up everything to follow Jesus. And the question is, is this typical? Is this what God does with all of us? Or is this just unique to Peter? I'm going to make the argument this morning that this is not just unique to Peter. This is the call for all of us to be disciples of Christ. Uh, we see it later on in the life of Paul. Uh, we see his dramatic conversion on the, the Damascus Road, where he goes from a killer of Christians to the greatest missionary the, the Christian world has ever seen. Uh, we see Paul leaving behind everything that he once knew, and becoming a follower of Christ. In fact, later on in Luke 9, verse 23, we're going to read that, uh, the words of Jesus where he says, that if anyone desires to come after me, 
he must take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, we come to Christ as Peter did in repentance and in faith. And when we do this, we trust in Jesus for two roles in our lives, two main roles. And that is one as our Savior, but also as our Lord. Yes, we trust in Him that He is the Savior of our sins, that He has been uh, that he was sacrificed so that we might have redemption. But not only is he our Savior, Jesus is also our Lord. What Peter came to grips with here in our passage this morning is the Lordship of Jesus. And Peter was demonstrating what Paul would later describe in the book of Galatians where he says in Galatians 2, verses 21 and 20, or 20 and 21, um, those of you men who meet together on Tuesday morning should know this, um, but Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when we come to Christ, we are crucified with Him. We share in His, in his death and in His resurrection. We repent of our sins and we place our faith in Christ. We are united to Him. We go through this spiritual crucifixion uh, as He went through the actual crucifixion. And when we exercise faith, we are placing our trust in Jesus as our Savior and we are placing our lives in His control because He is our Lord. We are handing over the authority of our lives. We are coming to Him, as Romans 12, verse 1 says, as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. So here's where the questions rise, and here's where we've got to be asking the right questions. So, so, Mike, I hear what you're saying, and I get it. Okay, I, I'm a disciple of Christ. I need to be like Peter. Uh, but Peter left his job. He left probably his family uh, for, for a large portion of this time, and he went and followed Jesus. So, Mike, are you telling me that I've got to leave my job and go follow Jesus? Is that what it means to be a disciple? I don't know. I can't answer that question for you in your life. That's what I mean by I don't know. Um, it may mean that to some degree. Uh, a few months ago, uh, for our last uh, men's breakfast, we had John Harrison come and speak to us. For him, the call to be a disciple meant quitting his job. And he went to go work for a nonprofit instead of working for Caterpillar. That's what it meant for him. Um, does that mean the same for every one of us? No, it doesn't. Because we need Christians in the marketplace. So it doesn't always mean uh, to quit your job like Peter. But you can't place your faith in Christ as just your Savior and then simply walk away from Him. 
You need to place your trust in Him as your Lord as well. Because we are His disciples. And we are called to follow after Him as disciples. And what we're called to do is to make disciples of all nations, as, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. So the question for us this morning is, is Jesus your Lord? As I was uh, going through this passage this week, uh, a couple of men kept coming to mind. Obviously, I, as you see in the bulletin there, I titled this sermon, The Cost of Discipleship. And when you hear the words, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, a name should come to mind. Uh, this was a, a famous book written um, early uh, in the 20th century by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the, this great German theologian. Um, I, I've spoken about him before from the pulpit here. But uh, he was obviously alive during the time of the Nazis in Germany, a very, very tumultuous time, uh, not only in Germany, but in our, our world. And he was one of the few Christians in Germany who actually stood up, uh, who resisted the temptation to capitulate to the Nazis, and uh, he stood strong in his faith. And as you know, it cost him his life. Um, it was very close to the end of the war, even, uh, that, uh, that he was martyred. But as I've told before, he had the opportunity in 1939. The Germans had just invaded Poland. World War II was just getting started. You know, Pearl Harbor hadn't even happened yet. We were not drawn into the war and he had the opportunity, uh, he had received an invitation from Union Seminary here in New York to come and to teach. And uh, through a lot of prayer and deliberation, he actually took that assignment. But when he arrived here in the States, um, he knew that this was not the place where God wanted him to be. Um, through much anguish, uh, he decided that he needed to go back to Germany. And as you know, uh, that decision cost him his life. Uh, six years later, in 1945, Bonhoeffer was martyred. But he refused. He refused to live out his faith here in America because he knew that there was Christians in Germany who needed him. And he knew that if Germany was to survive, if Christianity in Germany needed, was going to survive afterwards, that he needed to be there. Um, during this, this time. Uh, another man came to mind. His name is C.T. Studd. Um, he was one of the, the famous Cambridge Seven, if you've ever heard of that, that famous missionary group. Uh, they had joined Hudson Taylor in China. Who was Hudson Taylor was a man who, who wanted to not only go to China, but he wanted to go inland into China. Uh, where, where few had ventured before to bring the gospel. And C.T. Studd was uh, one of the men who wanted to go with him. Uh, there were seven of them. So he, he went into China. He also spent time as a missionary in India and later on in his life in Africa as well, always going inland into places where the gospel had never been reached uh, or had never ventured before. And C.T. Studd is, a, is famous for, for his poem, and uh, a poem that he has written, and it ends like this. It says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
And then there is the famous Jim Elliot. You can't mention a sermon on discipleship and not mention this famous quote from Jim Elliot. Um, as you know, he was the, the missionary uh, in Ecuador who was martyred um, by, by the Indians there. And uh, in his journal that he kept, uh, he is famous for this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. These were men who gave their all for the gospel, who for them discipleship meant giving their lives, uh, giving up everything that they knew, uh, everything that they held on to in order to advance the gospel. I cannot tell you what God is specifically calling you in your life. Uh, I cannot do that. Um, but I am asking you to examine your life and to ask the right questions. Because I think often what we are is we're like those teenagers um, who would always ask, you know, how far is too far? The wrong question. Uh, we ask ourselves, in a sense, what can I hold on to as a Christian and still be considered a disciple of Christ? Um, what can I get away with as a Christian and still, in a sense, sneak my way into heaven? It's not the question that we should be asking. Uh, the question we should be asking is, is Jesus my Lord? And what is he calling me to in my life? You know, when you get married, you take marriage vows. And part of those marriage vows uh, are about forsaking all others. It goes like this. Will you love and honor, comfort and cherish your spouse, him or her, from this day forward, forsaking all others, keeping only unto her or him for as long as you both shall live? Imagine getting married and holding on to your past boyfriend or girlfriend. How angry would your spouse be at you if you would do that? Um, it's time to, to burn the, the little black book at that point. You know, you forsake all others. When we come to Jesus, this is exactly what we do. We forsake all others. We surrender our lives to him completely because he is our Lord. Um, it's like our tithes and our offerings. If you think about it this way, um, it, it's not as important as what, what you give how much you give is not as important as how much you hold back. There's the story of, of Jesus with, and when he's with his disciples, and there's the woman who is giving her offering, and she gives a pittance. It's, it's two pennies, basically. And there's others who are just pouring money into this offering. But what does Jesus say? That she has given more. Why? Because she gave all she had. So what is holding you back from surrendering your life to Christ? And if there are areas in your life that you are hesitant to turn over to the Lordship of Christ, then these are the areas that are revealing the idols of our hearts. The idols of our hearts are the, are the things that we cling to for, for hope, for, for security, for pleasure, but in reality, these things can only be found in Christ. Surrender is not easy. 
as we close this morning, we're going to sing the hymn, uh, Jesus, I, My Cross Have Taken. Um, if you want to take that out of your insert here, I want to uh, draw attention to, to a couple of the, the lines in there. This was written by a man by the name of, of Henry Light. And you need to understand a little bit about his story. Um, as he was growing up, um, he was sent off to school by, by his parents. And when he went off to school, his father abandoned his family. So he grew up, in a sense, without his father. And you would think this bitterness towards a man who had simply abandoned him and, uh, and his, his brothers and sisters and his mother. But Henry Light has written some of the, the sweetest songs about describing God as our Father. And one of the hymns that he has written is, Jesus, I, my cross have taken, obviously taken from, from Luke nine twenty three. He says, Jesus, I, my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, and forsaken. Thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known, yet how rich is my condition because God and heaven are still my own. He says, Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. And then uh, on verse 3, Go then, earthly fame and treasure, come disaster, scorn and pain. For in thy service pain is pleasure, and with thy favor loss is gain. I have called thee Abba, Father, this a man who had his father abandoned him. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. But as it says in Romans 8:28, all must work for good to me. You know, as a disciple of Christ, we will be despised and rejected. But we will not be despised and rejected by God. And we will not be despised and rejected here as brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that many of you have made choices in your life, uh, regarding your life, regarding your family, that have been difficult choices to make. But you've done it for the gospel. And I hope and pray that here at Trinity you find strength and encouragement from one another. You know, it's not like Jesus doesn't understand what we are going through as we surrender our lives to Him. You know, He is the one who, first of all, surrendered control of His life. He is the one who subjected Himself to the will of His Heavenly Father. He is the one who prayed, Father, not my will, but Your will be done. He surrendered everything, his position, his, his power, his control, the authority of his own life, the loving favor of his Father in heaven. He surrendered all of that. He laid down his life so that the wrath of God could be satisfied. 
So the invitation to us as disciples of Christ is an invitation to come to Christ and to surrender. And I can't tell you how God is specifically calling you to surrender as a disciple. Maybe it is a call to leave your job, to take your family to an unreached people group around the world. If that is your calling, you must. You must go. And it would be our honor, it would be our pleasure to support you in that. Maybe it's a call to fostering or adopting, which several members of our congregation have done. If that's the call in your life, do it. You must. Uh, Maybe it's a call to be more active in sharing your faith at work. If so, do it. Uh, Maybe it's a call to, to humbly serve your family by raising your children on a daily basis. That is a call to surrender. Just this morning, as I was standing up here getting ready for the service, um, I had a little experience of what it's like to be my wife on a daily basis. I'm trying to get something done, prepare for the sermon, uh, going through my notes. And sure enough, Abigail is sleeping in the back and she blows out her diaper and wakes herself up. So, as uh, I have to go downstairs, I have to change her diaper, I have to find the diapers, I have to find the wipes. Um, that is surrender. Because it is putting others' needs in front of yourself. And as you surrender, you live out the gospel for your children. So let's ask the right questions. What have I not surrendered to Christ? And if not, why? Jesus is calling us. He is calling you as His disciple. He's not only your Savior, but He's also our Lord. So come, let us leave everything behind, and let's follow Him. Let's pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, we struggle with the call to leave everything behind. As Chris said this morning, Lord, we struggle with our unbelief. We want to hold on to, to cling to the things that that we feel like we can control. We want to hold on to these areas of our lives. Because, Lord, it's hard and it's a scary thing to be able to surrender everything over to You. I pray that, first of all, this church would be a place where we could strengthen and encourage each other in the callings that You are placing on our lives. The calling to surrender. Lord, that when we are despised and forsaken by the world, we can come to You knowing that we will never, never be despised or forsaken by You. And Lord, we long for the day when, as this song says, that our hope will change to glad fruition, that we will see You face to face, that our faith will be to sight and our prayers will turn to praise. Lord, we long for that day. Strengthen and encourage us as we live out our lives as disciples of You, as we give ourselves continually and completely over to You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.